Quality sleep is essential. That's why the Sleep Number Smart Bed is designed for your ever-evolving sleep needs. Need a bed that's firmer or softer on either side? Helps you sleep at a comfortable temperature? Sleep Number Smart Beds let you individualize your comfort, so you sleep better together. J.D. Power ranks Sleep Number number one in customer satisfaction with mattresses purchased in-store. And now, save 40% on the Sleep Number Limited Edition Smart Bed for a limited time. For J.D. Power 2023 award information, visit jdpower.com awards. Only at Sleep Number stores or sleepnumber.com. When you're ready to pop the question, the last thing you want to do is second-guess the ring. At BlueNile.com, you can design a one-of-a-kind ring with the ease and convenience of shopping online. Choose your diamond and setting. When you find the one, you'll get it delivered right to your door. Go to BlueNile.com and use promo code LISTEN to get $50 off your purchase of $500 or more. That's code LISTEN at BlueNile.com for $50 off your purchase. BlueNile.com, code LISTEN. This episode contains distressing themes and is intended for mature audiences only. Listener discretion is advised. On this episode of They Walk Among America, have you ever played the lottery and fantasized about what you would do with your newfound wealth? Buy an expensive sports car, go on a dream holiday, or purchase a sprawling mansion? Many people think that winning the lottery will solve all of their problems, but the reality is the curse of the lottery can often affect the winners, leaving them wishing they never won at all. In 2009, a lottery winner from Florida mysteriously vanished, sparking rumors about his whereabouts. Some speculated that he was evading the FBI, while others suggested he was sick or had even met a gruesome fate. As the investigation into his whereabouts continued, the disturbing truth behind his disappearance began to unravel. Hello, listeners. I'm your host, Nina Instead. Welcome to Episode 66 of They Walk Among America, a joint production between the Law & Crime Podcast Network and They Walk Among Us, the award-winning true crime podcast. November 2006, 41-year-old Abraham Shakespeare resided with his mother in North Lakeland, Florida. Abraham had very little to his name. He worked as a garbage man, earning $8 an hour. He had no driver's license, no car, and no credit cards. Abraham's life up until this point had been marked by difficulties. He had grown up in Lake Wales and had spent time at a children's home for juvenile delinquents, after being arrested for stealing from a convenience store. He had a son with a woman named Centoria Butler, but the relationship was tumultuous and ultimately was marked by a series of restraining orders. In October 2006, he was arrested for owing around $6,000 in child support. Educationally, Abraham had limited literacy skills. He could barely read or write. November 15, 2006, started out like any regular day for Abraham. He had been riding shotgun for Michael Ford, a local truck driver, and they had been assigned an overnight food route for Miami. The two men made several deliveries that night before stopping at the Town Star Mini Mart in Frostproof so Michael could purchase a soda. Abraham waited in the truck, but Michael inquired whether he wanted anything from the convenience store. Abraham handed Michael two $5 bills and asked him to purchase two quick-pick lotto tickets. Michael returned to the truck with a soda for himself and the two lottery tickets. Abraham had been trying his luck at the lottery every week for years. They continued on their route before returning home. Abraham Shakespeare ended up winning $31 million in the lottery on one of those tickets. 
he opted for the $17 million lump sum payment instead of $1.5 million a year. After paying taxes on his winnings, Abraham had $11 million. First of all, the government took the child support that Abraham owed, which was around $6,000. Next, he put away $1 million in a trust fund for his son and then purchased himself a brand new car and a lavish home worth $1 million on Red Hawk Bend Drive in North Lakeland. The brick and tan stucco home was nestled behind an electronic gate with French doors leading from the kitchen to the pool and decking area. It was a stark difference from all that Abraham had known for the past 41 years of his life. He proudly remarked, I'm not a material person. I don't let material things ruin me. In April of 2007, Michael Ford disputed Abraham Shakespeare's winnings and claimed that Abraham had stolen the winning lottery ticket from him. According to Michael, he had purchased two quick-pick lotto tickets while Abraham waited outside. He said that Abraham then stole the two tickets from him. Michael sued Abraham for the alleged theft, and the case went before a jury trial in circuit court. Abraham denied stealing the tickets and maintained that he had purchased them. He stated, He knows the truth. I know the truth. Abraham had come to court with a garbage bag filled with thousands of lottery tickets he had purchased over the years, which bolstered his claims he bought lottery tickets each week. Ultimately, the jury sided with Abraham and he won the lawsuit. Once Abraham Shakespeare's lottery winnings became public, it was expected that people would start coming to him for money. This is a common occurrence when someone wins the lottery and their financial windfall is made known to the public. Abraham exhibited a great deal of generosity with his wealth. Apart from establishing a trust fund for his son, he gave a million dollars to his father and $250,000 to each of his three stepsisters. Furthermore, he cleared a $185,000 mortgage for a friend and a $60,000 mortgage for a local resident. Although Abraham had known this neighbor for years, they were not close friends, and Abraham did not even know the man's last name. Abraham then sought to expand his property empire, purchasing a second home near Lake Wales for $125,000. He rented this property and gave his brother's son's best friend $40,000. Abraham also had ambitions to open up a foundation for the poor. Frequent instances of people exploiting Abraham's generosity had become public knowledge in town. He was approached on an almost daily basis by individuals with a sad tale of how they couldn't provide for their families. Despite lacking the ability to read or write, Abraham had an unwavering faith in humanity's inherent goodness and readily believed what people told him. He thought with his heart and not with his head. On one occasion, a random inmate wrote Abraham a letter asking for $1,000. Abraham felt too bad to say no, so he replied and sent him $50. Less than two years after winning the lottery, Abraham had lost nearly all of his earnings to swindlers. He expressed regret about winning to his close friends and he felt deceived by the people who had approached him for money. Abraham believed they wanted to be his friend, only to discover they were solely interested in his wealth. He commented, I really would like my old life back, where I could walk the streets like a normal person, without people coming up and asking for money. In early November 2009, Abraham's cousin, Cedric Adam, reported him missing. He told police that nobody had seen or heard from him since early April. Detectives quickly began investigating the strange disappearance, with some speculating that Abraham was deliberately keeping a low profile due to feeling disillusioned with people's constant begging for money. Detectives began by contacting all of Abraham's friends, including his lifelong friend, Eddie Dixon Jr., who said that Abraham frequented Super Choice Food Mart on West Memorial Boulevard. However, he had not seen Abraham in months, 
he expressed concern for his well-being, noting that Abraham could easily be taken advantage of. Eddie revealed that eight people owed Abraham a total of over $570,000 in debts. Lakeland police appealed to the public and asked them to keep an eye out for Abraham and get in contact with police if they had seen him over the last eight months. In a statement, they said, There is a possibility that he has elected not to be found. We don't know. We need to be able to hear from anyone who knows where he is currently or anyone who has seen him since April. Missing persons flyers were distributed in the area. They described Abraham as a black male with brown eyes and black hair. Detectives were uncertain if Abraham's disappearance involved foul play, but soon rumors began to spread. Some rumors suggested that Abraham was deceased, while others hinted that he was seriously ill or evading the FBI. The rumor mill ran wild, and local funeral homes received numerous calls from the public asking them to check for Abraham's body. From the beginning of the investigation, there were speculations that someone who owed Abraham money was responsible for his potential murder, considering he was owed over half a million dollars. As news of Abraham's disappearance spread throughout the area, one of his close friends, Dee Dee Moore, spoke with the media. According to Moore, Abraham wasn't actually missing. He was just laying low because people were always taking advantage of him and trying to get money out of him. She told the ledger that Abraham was living with a girlfriend just beyond the borders of Polk County. She said that the house they occupied was registered under his girlfriend's name so they wouldn't be able to track him down no matter how hard they tried. Abraham and Moore met in December of 2008 through a realtor named Barbara Jackson. Barbara had known both Abraham and Dee Dee and had sold Abraham one of his homes. One afternoon, Moore and Barbara had been speaking about Abraham and his lottery winnings. Moore asked Barbara if she could put her in touch with Abraham because she was interested in penning his life story for a local magazine. Barbara agreed, and she introduced the pair. Moore told local media that she was currently in the process of writing a book about Abraham's life, and she explained to three reporters with the ledger that she could set up an interview between them and Abraham. However, the interviews never materialized. As Moore became the spokesperson for Abraham while he lay low, some of Abraham's other friends shared their suspicions about her. Eddie said that Moore seemed to have appeared out of thin air. He confessed to being concerned about Abraham's vulnerability to exploitation when suddenly, Moore started appearing at Super Choice, Abraham's favorite hangout spot. According to Eddie, when Moore showed up, she became something of a debt collector for Abraham and demanded the money people owed him. Eddie commented, She popped out of nowhere. When this white lady came into the picture, he stopped coming up here. I feel like this woman knows where he is. When Eddie's concerns became public knowledge, Moore was quick to defend herself. She maintained that she was only trying to help Abraham. Dee Dee Moore said that as she and Abraham became closer, she discovered that his business dealings were shaky and offered to become his advisor, which allowed her to review his financial books. In early December, a $5,000 reward was put forward for information that led to the whereabouts of Abraham. An anonymous tip line was also implemented for those who might know something but were too afraid to come forward publicly. In announcing the reward, detectives also recognized the possibility that Abraham did not want to be found. They explained that if this were the case, they still needed to ascertain where he was and whether he was safe. Polk County Sheriff Grady Judd said, We have absolutely no information to tell us he's deceased, that he was the victim of murder, but we have absolutely no information to tell us he's alive. If he's trying to lay low, just contact authorities. Moore continued to inject herself into the investigation and speak with reporters. After the reward was announced, she shared her belief that somebody had taken advantage of Abraham. She said she had been helping Abraham get back the money people owed him, but that was it. 
Soon, Moore found herself entangled in the controversy surrounding Abraham's disappearance. It was quickly discovered that for the preceding months, Moore had been living inside Abraham's home. Her MySpace account was flooded with pictures of the home in an album titled My Lakeland Home. According to records, Abraham Shakespeare had signed his home over to D.D. Moore earlier in the year, but when Moore was questioned about this, she denied that she owned the property. As the investigation continued, detectives discovered that all of Abraham's real estate holdings and mortgages had either been sold or assigned to American Medical Professionals, PEO, LLC of Plant City over the course of 2009. Despite allegedly being a medical staffing company, American Medical Professionals was registered under the name of D.D. Moore. Further scrutiny of this suspicious activity revealed that the $570,000 debt owed to Abraham had been recorded as mortgages with the county. Strangely, at least five of these, which amounted to more than $370,000, were assigned to Moore's American Medical Professionals Company in spring, around the same time Abraham was last seen. Looking into this angle further, detectives heard from Howard Stitzel, a local lawyer. He told them that he had been working with Abraham in relation to child support issues when he failed to show up for a hearing over the summer. After Abraham was a no-show, he received a phone call from a woman who identified herself as one of Abraham's handlers. She told Howard that Abraham was having health problems and was out of the country, which explained his absence. Detectives and Howard strongly believed that the woman who placed the phone call was D.D. Moore. Following the revelation of this information in the media, Moore contacted the ledger once again. In this conversation, she claimed that Abraham was safe and sound, but had voluntarily vanished because he was exhausted from fighting legal battles over child custody and being incessantly hounded for money. She said, he intentionally did not want to be found. He didn't care what it took. Moore's latest assertion was that Abraham had intended for his assets, including the house she was currently occupying, to be purchased by her company, American Medical Professionals, as part of his scheme to disappear. According to Moore, this freed Abraham from obligations and put money back in his pocket, allegedly between $800,000 to $1 million. Moore stated, For the way he lives his lifestyle, he's got enough to live the rest of his life out peacefully. Moore further mentioned that she helped Abraham set up a power of attorney, which she claimed was granted to a lifelong friend of hers, who she refused to name. She said that this meant there was somebody available to deal with Abraham's legal issues, without Abraham having to be involved. Moore proceeded to explain that the plan turned out to be a flawed one, since she was now being looked at as a suspect in his disappearance. She revealed that since it was discovered that she now owned Abraham's property, detectives had searched her home, searched her Hummer car, and questioned her for hours. She complained that they took away her computers, downloaded the hard drives, and subjected her to a polygraph examination. Moore told the ledger that when she first met Abraham, she wanted to help him, but had failed in collecting the debts that people owed. She said that she bought the debts as part of the plan to allow Abraham to disappear. According to Moore, she was afraid of the people who owed Abraham money because they had threatened her. She revealed that she had sold these loans at a loss to another person who she refused to identify. She said, I want these idiots, these drug heads and these coke heads, to know that I've sold everything. Abraham sold me his mess to get a better life and I practically gave it away to get mine back. In an effort to strengthen her assertions that Abraham had willingly disappeared, Moore presented a video captured in April. The footage was shot in Abraham's former residence, which had become Moore's home. In the video, Abraham expressed his frustration about being persistently harassed for money by various individuals. So where do you want to go to? It don't matter to me. I'm not a picky person. California. You want a foreign country. 
Moore maintained that she took the video as protection because he assumed she would become a suspect once Abraham disappeared. Moore also claimed that before the flurry of media attention, she was able to contact Abraham, but since then, he had gone silent. In an interview with The Ledger, Moore suggested that instead of treating her like a suspect, people should look closer at those who swindled Abraham. Although many in the community were skeptical of Moore, she had her fair share of supporters. Her nail technician, Linda Kicklighter, said that Moore was a compassionate woman who reached out to Abraham with the sole intention of helping him deal with the money that people owed him. According to Linda, Moore should have been getting a Good Samaritan of the Year reward instead of being treated with suspicion. Brenda White, Moore's childhood friend, described her as a hard worker who had come from a good family. Abraham's family, however, did not buy the story. His mother, Elizabeth Walker, said he would never have just vanished without informing her or his son. She also disclosed that Moore's statement about knowing she was taking over Abraham's assets was false, as Elizabeth only learned about it from the media. Elizabeth shared her belief that Moore had been taking advantage of her son and had misled both him and his family into believing she was writing a story about his life. No such publication ever materialized, and Elizabeth expressed feeling deceived. She said, I feel like she misled me. Elizabeth told detectives that back in August, her nephew, Cedric, hand-delivered her a card with a cross and $100 inside and claimed that it had come from Abraham. Although Elizabeth recognized the signature inside the card as coming from her son, she said that Cedric refused to tell her where he had gotten the card from. At the time, the card alleviated Elizabeth's fears that something bad had happened to her son, making her believe he must have been safe. Elizabeth's comments were republished by the local media, and reporters approached Cedric and asked about the card. He refused to say where he had gotten the card from, and, even more perplexing, Cedric denied that he was the one who reported Abraham missing in November. Then, in December, Moore was having dinner with Elizabeth when she received a phone call from a man she claimed was Abraham. Elizabeth said the man did not sound like her son, but Moore contended that it was. The investigation into Abraham Shakespeare's whereabouts continued, and detectives learned of Dee Dee Moore's financial issues from the past. Back in 2001, she had driven a new $51,000 Lincoln Navigator, of which she owed $46,000 on, to a garage in Pasco County. She parked it and then had an accomplice tie her up, take her to a mama, and throw her in a ditch. When a passerby came across her, she claimed she had been raped at gunpoint by three Hispanic men who then stole her Lincoln Navigator. Moore described the men in great detail, even describing how one of them had green tattoos. Within two months, it would be determined that she had fabricated the entire story. She was convicted of insurance fraud and falsely reporting a crime and received one year of probation. At the time of the rape claim, Moore was the subject of an internal fraud investigation at work. She also owed thousands of dollars to her credit union and her landlord. When Moore purchased the Lincoln Navigator, she reported in financial documents that she earned $10,000 a month as a Nextel regional saleswoman. The truth was that Moore had been banned from selling Nextel products due to an internal fraud investigation. She also reported earning an additional $30,000 a year selling Mary Kay products. She had traded in her 1998 Ford Explorer, put down $5,000 in cash, and then took out a $45,000 loan to pay for the car. However, she quickly fell behind on car payments. When she couldn't make the payments, she told a GTE Federal Credit Union loan officer that her money had been stolen. When asked to provide a police report case number, she couldn't. Moore avoided repossession of the car by making a payment in January 2001. Then, in June, the credit union requested more money. At the time, Moore had a negative balance in a business checking account 
as well as overdue payments on the car and a personal credit card. She owed almost $6,500. When the loan officer contacted Moore again, she said, You're not taking my car. I'll do anything I have to keep it. Just six days later, Moore fabricated the abduction and rape story. D.T. Moore's lies eventually caught up with her as law enforcement closed in. In January, Sheriff Grady Judd announced she was considered a person of interest in Abraham's disappearance. When detectives looked into Moore, they learned that she had offered to give away one of Abraham's homes that had been signed over to her. However, there was a condition attached. For the person to obtain the home, Moore wanted them to lie and tell the police they had seen Abraham after his disappearance. It was also uncovered that Moore had paid Cedric $50,000 to hand-deliver the card purported to be from Abraham to his mother. When presented with the evidence, Cedric admitted that he had accepted the funds from Moore, but said he was desperate for money at the time. He and his wife had just been arrested for driving with a suspended license, and his son was about to head off to college. By now, Moore had already been interviewed several times by detectives. Each time, she denied any involvement in Abraham's disappearance. He is gone. Seven, wants to be missing. seven months ago, he has not had a word to anyone. He wants to be missing. During one interview, D.D. Moore told detectives that if she was guilty of anything, it was of trying to help Abraham protect his assets. She told detectives that Abraham's finances were a mess and accused him of loan sharking. According to Moore, Abraham often lent money to people without conducting credit checks, and then they couldn't afford to pay him back. Once Moore was named as a person of interest, more witnesses came forward to tell detectives about her suspicious actions. Centoria Butler, the mother of Abraham's son, described how, in September of 2008, Moore helped her move into a rented home and purchased her a new car. Centoria said that she accepted the help because she was desperate. She further revealed that Moore had offered to purchase her a new home but only under the condition that they contact Abraham's mother and claim that she had seen Abraham, Centoria refused. As the circumstantial evidence was building against Moore, Sheriff Judd announced that they were now preparing for the worst and investigating the case as a homicide. He revealed that detectives now believed that when Abraham vanished, he had no money to his name he announced that there was now a $10,000 reward for information that could lead to Abraham, whether he was alive or dead. While investigating Moore's relationship with Abraham, detectives uncovered that Moore had been unable to account for more than $840,000 that she claimed she paid Abraham for his home and other assets. Sheriff Judd announced, It appears that she got his last dollars. From what we see, it appears that she finished wiping him out. There were no records of any cash transactions between Moore and Abraham, but Moore maintained that she had paid Abraham in cash. Investigators had discovered that between January and April, Moore had set up a limited liability corporation, and through this corporation, she moved $1 million into the account. This was set up just one month after Moore and Abraham had met for the first time. Initially, both Moore and Abraham had the power to sign for the account, but shortly after it was set up, Moore was granted exclusive signing authority. Gradually, the money would be transferred from the corporation account directly into Moore's personal bank account. Once the money was deposited, she went on a spending spree, purchasing herself a new Corvette and a Hummer, as well as going on expensive vacations. Moore claimed that the money was a gift from Abraham, which was ironic considering that Abraham became frustrated when giving his money away to others. After the phone call purported to be from Abraham, Elizabeth contacted investigators and they traced the call to a man named Gregory Smith. Smith said that Moore had paid him several hundred dollars to make the phone call as a ruse that Abraham was still alive. She wanted me to call Abraham's mother and 
tell Abraham's mother that I was him. Gregory Smith agreed to become an informant for the investigators, who strongly believed that Moore had killed Abraham. He met with Moore over the next few weeks and recorded their conversations. On January 6th, Moore had Smith write a letter pretending to be from Abraham and then asked if he knew of anybody who would be willing to falsely confess to killing Abraham. Smith then introduced Moore to Lake Wales police officer Mike Smith, who was posing as a criminal facing a lengthy prison sentence. He said he would take the fall for Abraham's death for $50,000. This situation has gotten big. I'm in over my head. We can do this, but I'm going to need a body. Why would you do that, though, for me? I'm going anyhow. I'm going anyhow. If you do this, you're going to be a very popular person. You're going to be a legend. Once I go ahead and confess to this shit, they done with you. Because they definitely going to want the fucking body. Okay. Okay. Deal. D.D. Moore told Officer Smith she could take him to Abraham's body and provide him with the weapon used to kill him. A grim realization dawned over Officer Smith. Abraham was neither enjoying a luxurious life in the Caribbean, nor was he cohabitating with a prospective romantic partner. He was dead. Moore led him to a home located between Brandon and Lakeland and took him to the back garden. She said that Abraham was buried there, beneath a 30 by 30 concrete slab. She handed him a gun and ordered him to file away the serial number and wipe the fingerprints. The very next day, detectives descended on the home and unearthed Abraham Shakespeare's body. Before his cause of death was even revealed to the public, D.D. Moore spoke with the Tampa Bay Times and denied any involvement in his murder. In an ominous declaration, she stated, God knows I did not pull that trigger, and the court system will prove that. I'm guilty of covering up his death. I will go to jail, and I will prove my innocence. Moore claimed that she had spoken to investigators and told them who was responsible for Abraham's murder. She asserted that Abraham's death was the result of him being robbed by somebody else. She also told the newspaper she had good reason for not coming forward sooner with this information but she declined to elaborate. After her comments, detectives revealed that Abraham had been shot twice in the chest. Moore was subsequently arrested and charged as an accessory after the fact in Abraham's murder. According to detectives, Moore had tried to find somebody who she could pay to take the blame for his murder and somebody who would move his body from where it had been buried. This was before Gregory put her in touch with the undercover detective. In searching for such a person, Moore asked a man named Richard Land if he knew anybody who was awaiting sentencing in prison that would falsely confess to killing Abraham for $50,000. She then asked Bernard Thomas if he would move Abraham's body elsewhere. With D.D. Moore behind bars, the community came together to bid Abraham Shakespeare one final farewell. They gathered at the New Bethel AME Church on Martin Luther King Jr. Avenue in Lakeland on the 6th of February. Abraham's coffin sat at the front of the church, draped in an all-white bouquet of flowers. Pictures of Abraham showed his signature dreadlocks. During the service, Reverend H.B. Holmes said that how Abraham had helped Lakeland's Black community could be compared to the Good Samaritan in the Bible. He stated, He's been a great blessing to people around this city and the county. He urged the congregation not to get too caught up in unimportant material things. The funeral included gospel songs, a praise dance, and an acoustic rendition of Amazing Grace. Abraham's eight-year-old son, Moses, stood before the crowd and thanked everybody for coming, while Sanji Coney Williams read aloud a poem on behalf of Abraham's cousin. It read, In these streets, nothing is cheap. But the Bible said, what you sow is what you reap. How would you like to look five years younger? In a clinical study, people that had volume added with Juvederm Voluma XC in the cheeks perceived themselves as looking five years younger at six months after treatment. Look younger, feel like you. Add volume for lift and contour in the cheeks with Juvederm Voluma XC. 
Reverse signs of aging by adding volume to smooth laugh lines with Juvederm Velour XC. For important safety information and to find a licensed specialist, visit Juvederm.com. That's J-U-V-E-D-E-R-M.com. Not for people with severe allergic reactions, allergies to lidocaine, or the proteins used in Juvederm. Common side effects include injection site redness, swelling, pain, tenderness, firmness, lumps, bumps, bruising, discoloration, or itching. There's a risk of unintentional injection into a blood vessel, which can cause vision abnormalities, blindness, stroke, temporary scabs, or scarring. Talk to a licensed specialist to find out if it's right for you. There's never been a faster or easier way to start your weight loss journey than with PlushCare. PlushCare accepts most insurance plans and gives you online access to board-certified physicians who can prescribe FDA-approved weight loss medications like Wigovi and ZepBound for those who qualify. Take charge of your health and speak with a board-certified physician about a weight loss plan that's right for you. Get started today at plushcare.com slash weight loss. That's plushcare.com slash weight loss. plushcare.com slash weight loss. In mid-February, Dee Dee Moore was charged with the first-degree murder of Abraham Shakespeare. While behind bars, she wrote a letter to the Tampa Tribune, complaining that she was being unfairly portrayed in the media. She added that she hoped the person who killed Abraham would be caught. She wrote, You twist and alter one bad situation that happened in my life. You don't empathize all the things I've done to make a difference in the world. I've paid people's light bills, house payments, phone bills, car payments, etc. Following the arrest, Abraham's family worked tirelessly to try and reclaim some of the $17 million that Abraham had won in the lottery. In August, lawyer Stephen Martin was successful in getting the house where his body was discovered turned over to Abraham's estate through a quitclaim deed. The home had been purchased for Shar Krasniki, Moore's boyfriend, with Abraham's money. He signed the quitclaim deed, but not before removing all of the appliances and electrical equipment from the home. Shar also handed over a 2008 black Corvette that Moore had purchased for him with Abraham's money. He spoke with the ledger and said he felt as though the last two years of his life had been a lie. He had been made to believe that Moore was a wealthy businesswoman, when, in fact, she was just squandering someone else's money. Moore's husband felt the same. James Martin revealed that in April 2009, Moore had asked him to dig a hole in the back garden of Shar's property. She told him that she needed the hole to hide chunks of concrete for a building inspector. She then called him back days later to fill the hole in. He said that he was oblivious to the fact that Abraham was in the ground. As the investigation into the bizarre case progressed, detectives would learn that before Dee Dee Moore's arrest, she had been working hard to try and place the blame for Shakespeare's murder onto someone else. When people began suspecting Moore, her father, Patrick Donegan, had said to her that he wished he could have taken her place. Moore replied, You really would do something like that, Dad? Before bringing up his poor health. Patrick replied that he wasn't being serious, to which Moore responded, Well, I'm not guilty anyway. I'm not worried. I'm not guilty. I just want it all to go away. After Abraham's body was unearthed, Moore's mother, Linda Donegan, told detectives that Moore had, first of all, said that two robbers shot him. She then claimed that Abraham had attempted to strangle her because she refused to retrieve money from her safe to give to the two drug dealers. Moore told her mother that one of the drug dealers shot Abraham and that she was too afraid to go to the police in case the drug dealers harmed her son. Both Linda and Patrick said that Moore had a lifelong habit of telling lies. In early November, prosecutors announced they weren't seeking the death penalty against Dee Dee Moore, because they were limited by Florida's statute on aggravating factors. Meanwhile, Abraham Shakespeare's family were still trying to regain some of his assets. However, D.D. Moore was not giving up that easily. Abraham's estate was trying to regain ownership of his home. They said that Moore had never paid Abraham for the property, and the signature on a quitclaim deed was not his. In a letter, Moore wrote, if you steal my home with false accusations, I will sue you. Lawyer Stephen Martin filed multiple complaints claiming several mortgage properties 
were fraudulently transferred from Abraham to Moore. In October, Abraham's estate filed a lawsuit against Moore, claiming that she had converted to her own use and misappropriated around $1.45 million of Abraham's assets in early 2009. The lawsuit included a list of evidence which was held by the sheriff's office. There were 121 items that the estate said D.D. Moore had purchased with Abraham's money, including computers, jewelry, an iPod, a Gucci wallet, and a coach bag. The following month, a competency hearing was held, and the defense called on Dr. Michael Maher, a Tampa psychiatrist. He said he believed that Moore was not intentionally lying. He said that she didn't have the ability to focus on a question and that her responses often made no sense. He concluded that Moore was out of touch with reality and therefore not competent to stand trial. His conclusions were countered by two court-appointed psychologists who determined that Moore was competent to stand trial. Moore agreed with the latter and said she wanted to stand trial and believed that the facts of the case presented as evidence would vindicate her. Ultimately, the judge sided with the prosecution and declared Dee Dee Moore competent to stand trial. The murder trial began on November 27, 2012. During opening statements, Assistant State Attorney Jay Pruner characterized D.D. Moore as a manipulative thief who took advantage of a generous man who lacked the intelligence to realize what she was doing. He detailed to the jury how Abraham Shakespeare was worried about losing money in an upcoming child support case, so Moore fanned the flames of that fear. He said that the sad irony was that Moore had gained Abraham's trust by convincing him that she was an author who wanted to pen a book about how people were taking advantage of him after his big lottery win. Moore's defense attorney, Byron Hillman, countered this. He said that his client was simply trying to protect Abraham's assets when he was killed by drug dealers who still hadn't been caught. The defense would argue that Abraham had a business meeting with two drug dealers and that Moore had opened up her safe so he could access his money. As per their theory, when Moore returned later, Abraham was gone. They maintained that there was no evidence linking Moore to the murder weapon and that all of the evidence was circumstantial. The first to testify was Elizabeth Walker, Abraham's mother. She said that when she first met Moore, Elizabeth thought that Moore was a well-dressed businesswoman who wore fancy clothes and drove an expensive car. Following her son's disappearance, Elizabeth recounted that Moore persistently claimed for several months that he was still alive. During her testimony to the jury, Elizabeth revealed that Moore provided inconsistent explanations regarding her son's whereabouts, at times stating that he had moved out of town and at other times claiming that he was unwell and undergoing medical treatment. She testified about the phone call she allegedly received from her son. He said, it's Abraham. And I said, well, you don't sound like Abraham. The jury then heard the interview between D.D. Moore and detectives before Abraham's body was found. Polk County Sheriff's Office Deputy David Clark testified that he had warned Moore about lying to him during the investigation and revealed that she had sexually propositioned him. He said that during the interview, Moore randomly told him she was attracted to him and was interested in pursuing a relationship with him. The officer testified that he rebuffed her advances and affirmed that he wasn't there to discuss anything other than what happened to Abraham. On another occasion, Moore offered to get a hotel room and perform sex acts. Um, told me that she could get a free room at the Hard Rock Casino and um, her perform sexual acts on me. Once more, he rejected her advances. Under cross-examination, Deputy Clark was asked why Moore was the focus of the investigation instead of any other potential suspects. He replied by saying that Moore had full control over Abraham's assets, and the other people they questioned were not telling lie after lie. The lead witness of the trial was Gregory Smith, the informant. He had modified a Red Bull energy drink can to contain a recording device. He said he wanted to help the investigation because he and Abraham were friends. Gregory stated, I felt I owed it back to help Abraham. 
Before Abraham's disappearance, he had lent Gregory $63,000 to pay off his mother's property after she passed away. He had been making regular payments on the loan, which was how he met Moore when she took over collecting Abraham's debts. He told the jury how Moore had offered him $300 to use a payphone and call the police and claim he saw Abraham at a strip club in Miami. He also testified about composing the letter to Abraham's mother, Elizabeth Walker, from Abraham. He said that Moore wrote it in a motel room on a brand new laptop. While writing the letter, she wore a surgical mask, cap, and gloves. The letter complained about Abraham's so-called friends taking advantage of him. It urged his mother not to worry. Gregory testified about the contents of the letter. I am gone and don't have to come back. Don't worry about Dee. If she goes to jail, she will be okay. The charges won't stick. Since Abraham was illiterate, his mother doubted its authenticity. After Gregory began working as an informant, he was told where Abraham's body was. She wanted me to burn the body, so I had to give her, during that time, a list also of kerosene and a water trough, such as you would give cattle water in for me to be able to burn the body. In a recorded conversation, Moore said that Abraham was shot by a drug dealer named Ronald Wilson. She claimed that the drug dealer had threatened her, too. It was revealed during the trial that Ronald Wilson was a fictional person. Gregory's testimony was followed by Officer Mike Smith, who went undercover. In another recorded conversation, Moore could be heard telling the officer that he would become a legend for taking the fall. She said he would end up on the Oprah show or become the inspiration for a book. In the conversation, Moore told the officer that she was in over her head, but maintained that she had not killed Abraham. Once again, she claimed he was killed by a drug dealer. The jury would also hear more recordings of Moore's interrogations. These had come after Abraham was found dead. While Moore contended to other people that Abraham had been killed by drug dealers, she claimed in this interrogation that he was killed by his cousin, Cedric. It's the bottom of the ninth, mm-hmm. and you've got two strikes, Judy. Okay? I watched Cedric shoot him. So I was in the room. But I'm telling you, Cedric took the gun and in cold blood did not even hesitate to shoot the man, and I've seen it happen. Moore later changed her account and claimed that he had, in fact, been killed by a drug dealer. It was a drug deal bot that went bad, and the guy's name is uh, uh, something. I just found it out. In another interrogation, Moore claimed that Abraham was killed by her own son. Deputy David Clark testified about this. She said, my son R.J. shot Abraham twice. Abraham was trying to choke me. R.J. walked in the room, grabbed my gun, and shot him. He was only protecting me like any son would do. D.D. Moore opted out of testifying. Have you made a decision whether you are going to testify or not? Either I will testify or I will not testify. I will not testify. During closing arguments, attorney Pruner explained that there was overwhelming circumstantial evidence against Moore. Pruner described how she had sized up Abraham as easy pickings and took advantage of him. The attorney said, greed... Simple, everyday greed motivated her, flowed through her veins. Pruner argued that Abraham eventually got suspicious when he could no longer access what little cash he had left, saying, She knew what she had to do. She got every bit of his money. He found out about it and threatened to kill her. She killed him first. Defense attorney Byron Hillman argued that there were other suspects. He stated, There were a lot of people who owed Mr. Shakespeare a lot of money. One guy owed him a million dollars. The police focused on D.D. Moore, and they didn't even consider other people. Hillman went on to say that Moore's behavior was the actions of a desperate, panicked, and perhaps emotionally unstable woman who was stuck in a conundrum. The jury deliberated for three hours before returning with a verdict. 
they found Dee Dee more guilty of first-degree murder. After the verdict was handed down, Dee Dee Moore was sentenced to life in prison. In handing down the sentence, the judge referred to Moore as cold, calculating, and cruel. As is routine in most murder convictions, Moore announced her desire to file an appeal. However, her defense attorney announced that he would not be assisting with the appeal. As he said, he felt too sad for Abraham. In 2019, Moore wrote a letter of apology. It read in part, I am truly sorry to the prosecutor, Abraham's mom, and others that I have hurt for not being truthful. I regret my actions. This episode was researched and written by Emily G. Thompson. Editing and scoring by Corey Hiltman. Script editing, additional writing, and production direction by Rosanna and Benjamin Fitton. For more on our series and notes on this episode, please visit theywalkamonguspodcast.com. And for more on the Law & Crime Podcast Network, please visit lawandcrime.com slash podcasts. This has been They Walk Among America. Thank you for listening and please be safe. When you make decisions for your company, you look for the no-brainers. And if you have a lot of mailing to do, Stamps.com is the ultimate no-brainer. It streamlines your processes to make your business more efficient, which makes you less busy. Mail checks, invoices, legal documents, and everything you need to keep your business running with Stamps.com. Seamlessly connect with every major marketplace and shopping cart. Schedule package pickups and see your cheapest and fastest shipping options from different carriers. With rates up to 89% off USPS and UPS rates. And with the Stamps.com mobile app, you can take care of mailing and shipping wherever you are. Make the same no-brainer decision as over 1 million other businesses with Stamps.com. Sign up with code PROGRAM for a 4-week trial, plus free postage and a free digital scale. No long-term commitments or contracts. That's stamps.com. Code program.